You can turn your Bibles. We're going to be over in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. There was a story of a basset hound that appeared in the Tacoma, Washington newspaper. The dog's name was Tattoo. The reporter wrote this, Tattoo didn't plan on going for a run that evening, but when his owner accidentally shut the, po- the poor dog's leash in the car door and drove away from home, Tattoo had little choice. Now, thankfully, when he started driving, a policeman saw the poor dog's dilemma and pulled the car over. The police officer had one interesting observation. He said the basset hound was picking up his feet and putting them down just as fast as he could. Amazingly, his short little legs got him up to 25 miles an hour in spite of being rolled several times. <laughs> uh, but sometimes it seems like life has got us in a car door just taking us on down the road, doesn't it? <laughs> and that's not what it's supposed to be like. We're not supposed to be like Tattoo, where there are leash caught in the door and being dragged on down the road. We might go faster that way, <laughs> but that's not necessarily the way God wants us to be getting around. We're starting a series here this week on hope. The Word of God says over in Corinthians, and I didn't put that scripture in your outline, I intended to, but over in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 13, I believe it is, it says, Now abide these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now we spent a lot of time talking about love. We spent time talking about faith. It has been a while since we spent time talking about hope. But he does say there are these three, doesn't he? And we focus on faith. Oh, we've got to have faith. And we know we need to love each other and how important all that is. And we know how hard it is too, but we know we should be doing that. But what about hope? And sometimes we get the idea messed up as to what God's hope is. And we have a hope, but it's not necessarily what God wants us to have or what he considers to be hope. And so the same way that we can get our faith messed up and be believing in the wrong way and not having the God kind of faith, we need to make sure we have the God kind of hope. Because faith works by, we have to have hope in order to have, have uh, something for our faith to target. We've got to have hope in there. Faith is the substance of things hope for. So we've got to have something out there to be hoped for in order for the faith to be working on. Otherwise, you may have great faith, but nothing for it to be hoped upon. Nothing for it to work on. So we need to understand what true hope is in the Word of God. And we're going to be over here in Hebrews chapter 10. Now, sometimes we take whole sections of Scripture. Sometimes we take a whole chapter. Sometimes we take just a little bit. We're going to be looking at a lot of different areas of Scripture today, but really focusing on one verse. And that is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. There are four parts to this verse that we're going to be focusing on, four aspects of this verse. The first one is the action of the verse. Now, I, I tried hard to make sure this doesn't sound like English class, because you know if I came into a place and it sounded like English class, I'd probably tune it right out. Not all of you would. Some folks here like English class, and we appreciate both of you. but he says here let us hold fast the confession of our of our hope without wavering the action here is to hold fast let us hold fast that is the action of the sentence isn't it we're going to do something this is what we are supposed to do let us hold fast now in romans chapter 7 and verse 6 i followed this word This particular word that is translated, hold fast. And here's what we have in in some of the other places. In Romans chapter 7, verse 6, 
But now we have been del delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by. That's the same word. That the law had was holding us fast. It was holding us down. Having died to what we were held by. That's the same word that's put in there. That's the same kind of holding that was going on. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 2, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Keep the traditions. Have you ever found folks that have traditions and they will not let them go? They are really important to them. They are holding fast to those traditions. How many of y'all know when you're growing up, there were certain traditions, certain traditional meals, there were certain traditional times that you're supposed to be home, certain traditional holidays. You know, every family has different holidays that they celebrate in different ways. And some have, you know, more ho this, this holiday is more important than this one and, and, and all that. And so you grow up with that tradition and this is an important thing to your family. And when it comes time for that and you say, I can't be there, what happens? No, 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 you will hold fast. The tradition, right? You can get it. I mean, in some families, you get more trouble than others. Especially ones that are, have real strong ethnic ties. You know, the, the husband and the wife are both born of the same ethnicity. You know, Italian, uh, Polish, or uh, Irish, or whatever it might be. And they bring all those traditions over, and you will not <laughs> break them up. Now, if you get a mixed family, you know, one's uh, Irish, the other one's Italian. Well, you're mixing up all the traditions, and it may not be quite as strong. But for those that have it from both sides, oh, you know, what, you know what happens. You probably had friends that did that, right? You will keep traditions just as I deliver them to you. In uh, chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you have received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. If you hold fast. We've got to hold fast the words that were taught to us. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test all things, hold fast what is good. Test all things, hold fast what is good. We've taught on this verse before, and we've gotten into it. We gave you the example of a mom who is concerned about the health of the children. Going on down the grocery aisle and is looking at all the different products that are there on the shelf. Testing them to see which ones are good and which ones are not. And when the mom comes up to, you know, sometimes moms will take the kids along. And kids' idea of what is good and mom's idea of what is good do sometimes differ. <laughs> and, you know, you walk on by the Twinkies. Oh, they are good. And mom says they are not good. Now, we look at it when you're kids. They are good tasting. I like to eat them. <laughs> they're easy. They're good. And mom is looking at the, no, we don't like the sugar. We don't like all this. Stuff. They're not good. So mom is using a different test on those things. But she goes on down the aisle and she looks at all these things and determining which ones are good, which ones have a positive effect. So hold fast to those ones that are good. Hold fast to them. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 6. And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains, same word there. Same word. Now we've talked about this in the end times. And I've, you know, we always have different people believe different things in the end times. And if you want to believe something different than I do, that's fine. God will straighten you out when you get up to heaven. But for a long time it was taught, in some, some circles it still is taught, 
uh, that the Holy Spirit is what restrains and that in the, in the end times, in the tribulation, the Holy Spirit will be removed. That He is the one restraining. Which is ridiculous in my point of view because simply there's a whole lot going on during the tribulation. A whole lot of people are coming to salvation. How are they doing that without a Holy Spirit when it was so hard with one? If it was so much easier without them, why didn't we get rid of the Holy Spirit sooner? You know? <laughs> Holy cow. He's holding us back. We don't just get rid of Him. No, He's not holding us back. He's helping us. And I believe the Holy Spirit is here during the tribulation as much as He is now. What holds back the Antichrist from being revealed is the church because the church understands end times, understands end times events, and He can't reveal Himself lest He be exposed for what He is. But the problem that comes in with this for a lot of people is that it says He who restrains. And generally when the church is referred to, it is referred to as a She. Generally. But not always. We are, and as far as battle is concerned, we are the body of Christ. Right? Aren't we called the body of Christ when we're engaged in battle? And Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Is Jesus Christ male or female? Then how can he have a female body? Right? You see, it depends on what aspect of the church he's looking at. When he's looking at the church as being the bride of Christ, refers to her as a she. When he looks at, at the, body of the, the body of Christ, the church of Christ, as being the body of Christ, it could very well be a he here. So I don't have a hang up with that. I believe very strongly it is the church that restrains the powers of evil. And once we're removed, he can show up and do all his stuff and no one will know him from anybody else. But we would. Because we can spiritually perceive. That's, I, I know what that spirit is. That's wrong. Now you may sometimes perceive that so and so is. Boy they, they just seem evil. They don't seem like a good leader. And you may perceive that about different people around the world. And there are all kinds of leaders around the world. And we have good ones and we have bad ones. And it seems like we have more bad ones than we have good ones. But the word of God says that many antichrists will arise. But the antichrist won't be re revealed until we're gone. Now, if you have a different belief than that, that's fine. But uh, I just understand what the word is talking about here. He who now restrains. Same word as hold fast. Same word. So if you flip that around and put that back up in our Hebrews verse, verse we're looking at, let us hold fast the confession of our faith. Let us take that confession and hold that confession in place. Let us keep that confession where it is supposed to be. That's the idea of this. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ as a son over his house, of his whole house, we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Hebrews 3, verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So again, hold fast this until the end is the idea with, with these scriptures. So when he says here, let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, this is the action that he's challenging people to do. Hold fast the confession of our hope. So before we get into more about what hold fast is, we've got to find out what's the subject. We have the action. This is what we're supposed to do. But what's the subject of this thing? So the action is the hold fast. The subject is the confession. But not just any confession. It is the confession of our hope. Did you know that your hope has a confession? Certainly it does. Every hope has a confession. Now, there's worldly hope, there's wishing hope, and there's godly hope. We're talking mostly, we're talking about godly hope. We'll talk about some of the other ones too. But with godly hope, 
there is a confession about this. But even with worldly hope, we can sometimes have that. How many of you, when you're growing up, look forward to Christmas? And you know, mom and dad, they want to find out just like now, you know, you, your spouses or your kids or whatever, you may be asking, what do you want for Christmas? And you want to find some things that you can go out there and get them so you can get them something they like, and not something they don't like, something that they just put away and gather dust and all that. So you want to find out what is it that you want. So you might ask the kids, you know, what do you want for Christmas? They're all gearing up for it. They're not surprised by the question. They have been anticipating this. When I was growing up, we had the Sears catalog. You know, now you have the Internet. But back in my day, we had the Sears catalog. And, of course, when the Sears catalog came, it was the Christmas edition. They could call it the Christmas edition then. Oh, we had the whole big catalog. And then they would put out just the special edition the, uh, the, what they called the wish book? Was that what it was? Yeah. The wish book, yeah. Had the wish book out there. And all that had was stuff that kids wanted for Christmas. That was, that was the good one. Oh, when the wish book came. We were looking for that one. And we could sit down there and look at real live pictures of all these different things. Now, of course, you may not be able to afford all the different things that were in the book, but you were looking for, for and you target, oh, this one. Oh, Yes, I would like that. And you say, when mom and dad come, you've already looked through the wish book. <laughs> and you've already got an idea. And you say, I would like this for Christmas. If you don't get any objection from mom and dad, then you can pretty much say, oh, I'm going to get this for Christmas. And so you get into school the next day, and, and you're all talking about the wish book. You're talking about the Christmas is coming up. And you say, what are you going to get for Christmas? Well, I asked for this. Oh, that's so good. Oh, my cousin has one of those. Oh, it is fast. It is really fun. You are, you are going to love that. And the whole time, all the way up until Christmas, you are dreaming of when this thing comes in. And you are not just wishing that you might get the thing. You are hoping in a biblical way and confessing about it. When I get that, mm, oh, I'm going to put it here. And you've already got a section in the room already set up for where this thing is going to go. Because you know it's coming. Do you have it yet? No, you don't have it yet. But you know it's coming. It is still a hope. But the whole time you have your confession about what that thing is. Now, of course, nowadays, we've seen this. You know, they have the, the hyped Christmas present. I think uh, one time, was it that Sesame Street character, um, Elmo? Is it Tickle Me Elmo? Is that what it was? I mean, I like Elmo and all that, but I'm not standing out in line for one. <laughs> but fortunately, our kids were, were well grown up and they weren't in the Elmo stage when that became hot. So we didn't have to do all that. But there were some people who stood in line for hours because some store said they were going to have a hundred of them or however many they had and, and they needed to get one. And so they stood in line for hours. Now, they didn't have their confession was different. Then the kids who's anticipating the, the Christmas present, their confession is, I hope I get one. I, I, I hope I get one. I'm, gonna, I'm standing here. I just, there's 90 people in front of me, but I hope I can get one. They said they had 100. I, I have a shot to get one. And they're still standing out there in the cold, waiting for the store to open so they can get on in there and get the present. Oh, how disappointing that would be. To be the 101st person. Oh, that's got to be disappointing, isn't it? Because you had your hope already and then it wasn't there. But the confession of one who's hoping that way is different from the confession of one who knows it's coming. 
If you get paid a weekly basis, every other week basis or a monthly basis, you have a hope of getting that, don't you? You don't have it yet. So it's a hope, and it's a pretty certain hope that that paycheck is going to come. But how many of you many times have counted out how much that paycheck should be and what you're going to do with that paycheck when it arrives? What you're going to pay, what you're going to buy, whatever you're going to do. Haven't you done that? Well, when my paycheck comes on Friday, I will pay this off. I will put so much toward this. I'll make the rent payment. I'll make the house payment. I'll make the car payment. Don't you make those kind of confessions? Don't you say those things? But you still have the hope that it's coming. Now, it's a pretty certain hope, isn't it? If it doesn't come, you are in shock and all. What do you mean? It's, what do you mean there's no paycheck today? Of course it's a page. Where did it go? <laughs> of course it's here. You've got it all mapped out, what it is that you're going to be doing with this paycheck. It's, it's got to be there. You have that hope. How many of you all got out this morning with the expectant hope that your car would run? That your car would start up? Cold weather like this can sometimes wreak havoc on cars. can wreak havoc on all kinds of stuff. But you're going out there and sometimes you just reinforce that confession. I know my car is going to start this morning. <laughs> but that's mostly built out because we're wondering <laughs> if it's going to start. About it. But you see, the person who has an absolute firm confidence of what's coming, their confession is different from one who wishes it was going to be here. It's a different confession. So when he says to hold fast the confession of our hope, we've got to know what that confession is and make sure that we're making that confession. The confession of our hope. That's what we need to be doing. So it's the confession of our hope, and the hope is from what he promised. We'll find this out later on in the verse. That's what he says. For he who promised is faithful. Well, the hope is based on whatever it was that he promised you. You have a job. You have a salary. That's a promise. I will pay you so much when you complete these, this amount of tasks. I mean, you put in this many hours or you do whatever it is that you're supposed to do. I will pay you this much. You have a commission job. Then if you sell so many things, I will pay you. It's all, all based on those things. There's, there's a promise that's there, but there's a hope that's based on that promise, isn't it? We have promises that are made in the Word of God. And there is a hope from it. But we must have a confession in line with the hope. So there's a confession of our hope, and the hope is what He has promised. Now, here we get to the third part. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Now, I don't want to get into, you know, whether this is an adverb, adjective, and all that sort of stuff, because that sounds too much like English class. So I put it to you this way. This is the challenge. We have the action. The action is hold fast. The subject is the confession of our hope. But the challenge is to do this without wavering. Don't waver. Another hold fast, but don't waver off of it. Keep it going. So I put this question in your outline. What is wavering? And since we had some room, and I want to come back to this definition later on, I went online. Don't you love online dictionaries? If you have not gotten into the wonderful world of online dictionaries, oh, you are missing out on something. Because what you can do with online dictionaries, I have a favorite site, and in that particular site, I love their definitions. 
I, I go to it first anymore. I just I love their definitions. And one click of a button, and you're back over into the, the Thoris page. And you can find all kinds of words in synonyms. You have all those that are available to you. But there's a, I don't know if you know about this, there is a, uh, one of these online dictionary type. It's not a dictionary site, but it's an online dictionary type. How many of you all like to do crossword puzzles? My hand is not up. <laughs> I do not like crossword. I never have. just never got into them. But I know a lot of folks do like to have crossword puzzles. There is a site. Now, I know this because I use it for other things other than crossword puzzles. But there is a site that will give you words with certain letters in them. And so all you can do is, if, you have, if you're looking for a seven-lettered word, and the first letter is A, the third letter is N, and the last letter is S, you can pump that in to the, to the thing there, and it will find a seven-letter word with the first letter starting with N, the third, or a, the third letter starting with N, and the last letter being an S. You also can type it in. You just got to change the characters, the search conditions, just to, and it's not hard. It's really easy. You can just change it by one thing, and you can find any word that starts with any number of letters that you want. If you say, you know, I want all the words to start with P-R-E, then you just put this extra, this little asterisk at the end, and it will find all the words, no matter how long they are, that start with that, that beginning. If you want to find a word that ends in a certain way, you want to find a word that ends in I-O-N, and you don't know what comes, you don't care what comes before. Then you put the little asterisk there, and I-O-N, and it will find any number of words that end that way, no matter how long they are. But there's a particular character you can put in that will restrict how long that word is. And you can make it anything that you want. And then you can go right from there and find the definition. In the thesaurus category, they, they have stuff on there. They have, I don't know, have you, have you ever seen this? A pictorial thesaurus. Oh, wow, it's fun. Now, this one you've got to pay money for. But instead of just giving you a list of words, I haven't paid the money for it yet. I've played with it. And I've gone as far as I can playing with it. But if you want to go any further, you have to pay the money for it. And that's not much. It's just a little bit. But I just haven't had to you know, you need to use that. But what it does is it gives you a picture of your word. And it takes all the words that mean similar to it all and puts them in an area all the way around it. And you say... As far as I'm going, I like this direction. And you click on that word, and now that becomes the new word. But it's using your previous word you picked plus this word, and now it's narrowing down your search, helping you find just the right word that means what that is. It's, it's fascinating what they can do with these things anymore. So anyway, I go online and I find these definitions, and sometimes I put them in here. I left this one in here because I want you to be able to come on back and refer to this every once in a while. But it's so much easier than typing it, isn't it? You know, copy and paste and just put it right in there. And Here it is. What is wavering? To sway to and fro, to flutter. To flicker or quiver as a light. To become unsteady, begin to fail or give away. To shake or tremble as the hands or voice. To feel or show doubt, indecision, so forth. To vacillate to fluctuate or vary. That is what wavering is, is meaning. To feel or show doubt, indecision, or to vacillate. That's pretty much in line with what we're, what we're looking at, but some of the other ones are there as well. To sway to and fro, to flicker or quiver. You're not always burning as bright as you were on that particular topic. 
But he says to do this without shaking or trembling. To do this without being unsteady or beginning to fail or give away. To do this without flickering or quivering. To hold fast the confession of our faith without showing doubt, indecision, or vacillation. Isn't that what he's asking us to do? Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Now over in Romans chapter 4, verse 16, we look at Abraham. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all, not only those who were of the law, but also to those who were of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Now if God calls those things that do not exist as though they did, is he not calling those things into an existence in hope? Because hope is not present, is it? Who contrary, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith. In other words, not wavering, not vacillating, not shaking or trembling, not flickering or quivering, not swaying to and fro, not fluttering, not being weak in the faith. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Now, this is translated just a little bit off from what it should be. So I brought over some other translations for you. You don't have these in your outline, but I have them in mine. So I'm just going to read these two. I have three different translations on this same verse. These are all readily accept, uh, accessible to you. Going back to that online thing. Do you know that online you can read every single version of the Bible? Bypassing all copyrights. There are several sites on the, on the internet that you can look up a verse and find it in any translation that you want. don't know if you know that that's out there, but it is. Very helpful at times. Here is the Weist translation. This is the expanded New Testament as he translates it. Beginning of verse 19. And not being weak with respect to his faith, he attentively considered his own body permanently dead. You see the difference? He attentively considered his own body permanently dead, he being about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. Moreover, the view of the promise of God, he did not vacillate in the, in the sphere of unbelief between two mutually exclusive expectations but was strengthened with respect to his faith, having given glory to God, and was fully persuaded that what he had promised with finality he was able to do. That's the Weiss translation. How many of you ever heard of the Message Bible? Here's the Message Bible. Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say, it's hopeless. This hundred-year-old body could never father a child, nor did he sur survey Sarah's deadness, decades of infertility, and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously skeptical questions. See, he didn't focus on it. He acknowledged it, at least puts it, that he saw it, 
He acknowledged it, but he's not going to let that stop him. It's different from how the King James and New King James put it, that he did not consider it. He did consider it, but he didn't let it stop him. Amplified Bible. He did not weaken in faith when he considered the utter impotence of his own body, which was as good as dead because he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's dead, dead womb. No unbelief or distrust made him waver, doubting, question concerning the promise of God, but grew strong and was empowered by faith as he gave praise and glory to God. Fully satisfied and assured that God was able and mightily to keep his word and do what he had promised. So here's the example we have on one who hoped. Abraham was given a promise, was he not? And that's what hope is based on. It's based on the promise. The promise given to Abraham was that you would become the father of many nations and that through you, I would bless all nations. The promise was not that he would become the father of all nations. The, pro was, the pro promise was that he would become the father of many and that all nations would be blessed through him. That is the promise. We look back and see how this is fulfilled. This is fulfilled by him having a multitude of children. And those children having a multitude of children. And it just, you know, in, in a short period of time, the Egyptians got nervous about all these people in their land. And they had folks all over the place. Even in a horrible time over in, the, in Germany when they wiped out so many of them, they continued to go on. Even when other nations before Germany rose up against the Jewish people and wiped out so many of them, they continued to go on. They were removed from their land twice, and twice they were returned. No other nation has been removed from their land and returned once. But God said that through you, I will bless all nations. Now, all the nations are not blessed because the Israelites have been so populous. That does not bless the whole world. What blessed the whole world is that Messiah would come through Israel. And Messiah would bless all nations. And surely the promise was fulfilled. All nations were blessed. Because of what Abraham believed. And because of what he hoped. Because of what he had. So God gave him the promise. I will make of you. Father of many. And all nations. Will be blessed because of you. That is the promise. Now throughout the time he had that promise. Does he waver? Oh sure he does. God comes to him one time and says. He reassures the promise. And said you are blessed. And he says, I can't be blessed. I don't have an heir. And one who did not come from my womb or come from my loins is my heir. He was upset with that. And God says, no, he will not be your heir. One that comes from your, groin, or your, your loins. He will be your heir. He'll be it. All right. He's not all, he's, he's still wavering. And so God comes over and he changes his name. Instead of Abram, you're going to be Abraham. He's going around saying to everybody, I'm father of many, father of many. How many kids you got? None. That's what he had to do. We've talked about that before. He's going around, father of many. What's your name? Father of many. Name meant something to those folks. Wednesday night, we were going through the genealogies of Genesis chapter 5 and we looked at what some of the names meant. And boy, was that, does that change what the genealogies are about, huh? That helps us out with all that. Names meant something. And you need to live up to whatever your name was. 
They didn't just name you names that sounded nice. They named a name that they expect you to do something. They expect you to live up to it. Father of many. So he has to go around now and say this to everybody. Father of many. He's still not believing it. He's going down to Egypt and he thinks they're going to kill him. Because of Sarah. That would kind of negate the promise, wouldn't it? Is he wavering? Yes, he's wavering at that point. There are many times through Abraham's life that we see him waver. But the Word of God says in Hebrews, Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So he has the hope. The hope is, I will be the father of many and all nations will be blessed because of me. That's the hope. He's got to hang on to that hope. He's got to continue to look at that hope. But he's wavering. What is it that causes the man to waver? At one point, doesn't he say his age? At one point, doesn't he talk about the deadness of Sarah's womb? At one point, do not not come up to the come up with the plan that well, you know, there's Hagar. That's uh, perhaps God will give us a child through her. Well, it worked. But just because the plan works doesn't mean it's of God. <laughs> and it worked, and she got pregnant. It's going to be Abraham's uh, kid. But God says, I'll make of him a great nation too. But that's not the one I'm talking about. Not the one. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. So he wavered on this. This is what wavering is. Wavering is simply looking around at the things that are going on and saying, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I know what God said. But I'm not so sure. I mean, look over here. Peter is in the boat. And Jesus is walking by in the water. He would have gone past them. But they saw him, so they called over to him as he comes over. And Peter says, Master, if it's, if it's really you, call to me and I'll come out to you. So the master says, come. And he jumps out of the boat. And he has the hope of making it over to where the master is, doesn't he? Would you jump out of the boat in a storm without a hope that you could make it to where you were going to go? He had the hope of making it over to this spot. So he gets on out there. Is he wavering at this point? No. You don't jump out of a boat wavering. <laughs> you have to get past the wavering spot to jump out of the boat. But once he jumps out of the boat, boat and then he not just is looking at the waves, but now he's in the waves. The waves are all around him. He's still walking, but the waves now, he's more conscious of the waves. And now, instead of looking at the hope, where I'm going to go, he's looking at... Wow, these waves are big. Boy, it feels kind of funny walking on waves. I didn't really think about this, but I don't think I can walk on waves. And he begins to waver, doesn't he? And he begins to sink he begins to go down this isn't good but he's wavering as long as he wasn't wavering was he doing all right he was doing just fine but then he started to waver let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering what did peter do he lost the confession didn't he he may not have been with his mouth but in his mind is he not considering the waves He's not considering the plight of being away from the boat, in the water, in the storm, 
in the waves? He's considering all that. That's what we have to avoid. It didn't work for Peter. As long as he was not considering the waves, as long as he was looking to the hope, we were good. But see, God has given us promises in the Word of God. And sometimes we've gone on the, in the, about this in the wrong way. Is hope present tense or future tense? Hope is future, isn't it? Hope is not present because if it's present, it's no longer hope. You can't hope for what you have. I hope I find the keys to my car. Where were they last? Well, they're in my pocket right now. They're, they're in your pocket right now? Yeah, they're in my pocket right now. But I hope I get them. Are we gonna, is that, that doesn't sound quite right, does it? That's not the hope. The word, it's, I, you can't do that. You hope for what is future. But so often in faith teaching, we have got the idea that hope must become present or past tense. But hope is future tense. We'll spend time on this and we'll show you hope in the Word of God. Hope is future tense. It's not present tense and it certainly is not past tense. Whatever hope we have is for something we do not yet have or have not attained. But do see it coming our way. So I can have faith for the thing that I hope for, which is future, not present. How many times have you felt bad talking about something that you're believing for as if it's future? Well, that's not very faith, faithy of you. You talk like that you have it now. But yet, hope is future. It is the most ridiculous thing in the world to talk about something in the present or past tense that you are hoping for. I hope I find my keys. And they're in your hand. That's ridiculous, isn't it? In the same way, it is ridiculous to speak in the future tense about something I have is just as ridiculous to speak in the in the um, opposite. Put it to you this way. If my faith is to believe for something in this future, my confession should be, I will have that. If my faith in the Word of God, what He has promised me, what He has taught me, is for something that I have now, and I say, I hope that I get that. Is that not the most, is that not also ridiculous? We must make the discernment, the discerning of what is hope and what is ours. That sometimes we have mixed it up and we have a confession of what is ours now as if it was a hope. And we have a confession for other things that are a hope talking like they are ours now. Simply because we don't know the promise. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. The hope is based on a promise. And if you don't know the promise, 
your confession will not be right. It will be confused. And we've looked at many times in the Word of God where people have got their confession messed up. Eve, when she messed up, when she was talking with uh, the serpent. We can't get it met. We've got to know what the promise of God is. What is the promise of God? Is it for something future? Is it for something now? And when we understand that, I have, that's mine now. That's not mine in a few, that's mine now. That's mine. If you have been paid money by your job, and that money you've taken a check and put it in your account, and the money is in the account, are you hoping for that money? We're not hoping for that money anymore. It's ours. But I still have a hope for the next paycheck. But I work differently off of the paycheck I am hoping for and the paycheck I have. And if you don't discern the difference between the paychecks you have and the paychecks you're hoping for, your account will probably become overdrawn. And that will cost you money. You don't want to do that. Let me read you the Weiss translation of this again. Romans 4.19 And not being weak with respect to his faith, he had tentatively considered his own body permanently dead, he being about 100 years old, and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. When you have a promise of God that is different from where you are now, it does not mean you have to deny where you are now in order to be in faith about where you will be. You don't have to go outside and call your car something different. If you're driving a Chevy and you'd rather have a Buick, you don't have to go out there and call a thing this. You can look past it. I see my Buick despite my Chevy being here. <laughs> you can do that. I can look past it. That's the hope. But I don't have to go around calling a Chevy a Buick. Want to get him in my nice new Buick? Let's go for a ride. It's a Chevy. No, it's not. It's a Buick. No, it's a Chevy. What's the matter? Can't you see it? It's a Buick. No, we don't have to do that. That's the same thing that Abraham didn't do. He didn't have to deny that his body was physically dead as far as giving birth. Or that his wife's body was physically dead as far as giving birth. He didn't have to deny it. He simply said, that won't stop us. Because I have the hope that he who promised is faithful. Too often, folks, we are getting to know the wind and the waves. We are getting to know the bodies. We are getting to know the circumstances around where that promise is coming from. Instead of getting to know the promise. What Abraham had to do was to focus on the promise. What did God say? Simply God said, I will make of you father of many. And through you all the nations will be blessed. That's all he had to focus on. He didn't have to go over there and, and add it up and look at, well, Sarah, she's not getting any younger. Me, I'm not getting any younger. He didn't have to focus on these things. All he had to focus on what the promise was. So let's go back to our verse again. Let us hold fast, that's the action, the confession of our hope without wavering, that's the subject and the challenge, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. 
So when other things come along and they begin to get you to think differently from what the promise is given. Think differently. What are you going to do? I'm going to go back to this verse and hold fast. That's why we spent those words on holding fast. You need to understand what holding fast is. I need to hold fast the confession of our hope. What is the confession of your hope? How many of you have a hope for something in the future, but you don't know what the confession of it is? It doesn't say hold fast to the hope, folks. It says hold fast to the confession of the hope. What is the confession of your hope? What you are to hold fast to is the confession of that hope. Now let's take an easy one. We have the hope of heaven, don't we? How many of you have the hope that when you die here, you go on to heaven? Is that a hope? Are you in that now? No. Is it yours now? No. It's not yours until you die. You must die first, then that will be yours. But as long as you are alive here on this earth, here is where you reside. But that is there. And there is a hope for that. But the hope is future. Is it based on things that were given in the Word of God? Is it based on promises? I go and prepare a place for you. There, there is a place that He is going that He will bring us to. And there's also the Word of God where we have this, this place. And so it begins to paint a picture of us. What do the gates look like? Pearl. Made out of one solid pearl. The gates are. One solid pearl. What are the streets made of? What kind of gold? What kind of pure gold? Transparent gold. Transparent pure gold. How many have ever seen transparent pure gold? You're well up there. What are the foundation stones made out of? All kinds of precious stones, right? Jasper and it names all the different stones that the foundations are made out of. What's your house made of? You don't know that one, do you? It's probably not made out of wood, though. <laughs> you might like wood, but your home is probably not made of all that. But you see what kind of things that the, the houses are made out of. If the streets are made with, with gold, your house is probably made of something better. But this gives you the picture. What's up? You all have a picture of heaven based on promises in the Word of God, don't you? And so what you do is you begin to go on and you begin to think about that. And Well, how do you hold fast that confession? Well, people come up to you and say, aren't you afraid what happens when you die? Oh, no. 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 No, I know, I know where I'm going. I've got a place prepared for me. And you begin to talk about this place that you have, that's being prepared for you, right? I've used this example with you before. We'll use it again, though. <clears throat> How many of you have ever seen any pictures of heaven? No pictures of heaven? How many of you know where heaven is? Anybody know where heaven is? Don't know where heaven is? No. I may know somebody who has gone to heaven and come back and told you about it. And brought pictures. We don't know that. But you believe beyond any shadow of a doubt that heaven exists. Even though you don't know where it is. You don't know anybody who's been there. And certainly no one has been there and come back that you know. But you believe it, don't you? 
And if someone were to come over and say, there is no heaven. I'm sorry to tell you this. There is no heaven. What would you do? <laughs> you laugh at them. Ah, oh, you've got to be kidding me. You don't think there's a heaven? Well, I know where you're going. <laughs> and there's no heaven there. But you know, you, you have this confession. If someone comes up to you and talks to you about where you're going, you start telling them, I have a mansion. I don't have a shack. I don't have a shed. I don't have a condo. I have a mansion being prepared for me. And I'm going to be walking on streets of gold, passing through gates made out of pearls. You, know, you don't know everything about heaven, but you know some things about heaven. And you go on and you hold that confession, don't you? That you're holding your confession. You're holding fast your confession despite the fact that people might come to you and say, but it, you don't know that it really exists. You don't know where it is. You don't even know. You, know, you haven't even seen pictures of it. How can you believe this strongly in a place? Hold fast the confession of our hope. What is the confession of heaven? I'm going there. I have a mansion. The place is mine. God is there. He's waiting for me. And when I show up, I get in. That's my confession about heaven, isn't it? Depending upon your view on end times, if you have your view like I do, I'm, I'm going to heaven and watching the end times from up there. Totally out of shot of any, of any of the uh, forces they have down here. The sun, all the stuff that's going through, not affecting me. I'm up in heaven. I'm watching. And we have this confession. Doesn't that get you excited? But that confession is based on a hope. You have faith in the hope because he who has promised is faithful. And that has established a pretty firm confession out of you, hasn't it? But as soon as the promise of heaven is brought out, do you not come up with all that part of the confession? Can you not bring all that stuff out as a confession? I didn't bring you anything new about heaven, did I? This is all stuff you already knew about it? And you would say this to other people? That is your confession on a promise. And you're real good at that one. Now how about getting better at some of the others? How about getting to the place with some of the others that you can do it just as well? Abraham was supposed to be this good with the confession of his prom of what was promised to him. When people came up to him, and I don't know if he did this or not. Eventually, he might have gotten to this place. People came up to him and said, what's your name, father of many? How many kids do you have? I have none yet, but I will have a multitude. You will not even be able to number them. Just like you can't number the sands on the, on the beach. Just like you can't number the stars that are in the sky. You will not be able to number my kids. That's how many I'm going to have. And all the nations in this entire world are going to be blessed because of me. That's his confession. Is it not what God told him? Is it not using everything that God told him about his promise? He doesn't have to go outside into the world of imagination, does he? God, has, God used the sands. God used the stars. God said to him, look up in the sky. Count the stars if you can. You can't count them, neither will anybody be able to count your descendants. Those are examples used by God. When God gives us a promise and He gives us a hope, He gives us a confession. But we have to be as, as well-versed in the confession 
as we are in what the promise is. Just as you are well-versed in the confession of heaven, we need to be well-versed in the others. But beyond that, we need to get hope focused on the things that God has promised us and faith working on the things that He has given us. And there is a difference between the two. Your hope focuses on the thing God has promised you. And your faith works that hope. But there are things in this earth that God has given you. And your faith works them directly. That's why we need to get into hope. That's why we're going to spend some time in hope. So you understand. Because you've got to get that bridge working on the things that God has promised to us. Abraham didn't ignore what was going on around him. He saw past it. The hope, the promise, allows you to see past whatever it is that's holding you back. What are all the wind and waves? The fact that there's no kids. The fact that you're getting old. All those things. The promise, the hope, gets you to look past all of that. The last part was the reason. For he who promised is faithful. That is our reason for doing all these things. We have an action. We have the subject. We have the challenge. And we have the reason. For he who promised is faithful. Here at the end, three things. First off, know what is promised. Know what is promised. Look past the obstacles. Know what is promised. And just know, when God promises you something, there's going to be obstacles to it. Know what He has promised. Look past the obstacles and hold fast without wavering. Look past the obstacles and hold fast without wavering. Hope is an important thing. Hope that does not waver. Just like you don't waver on heaven. There are some other things we are promised in the Word of God. And you need to be just as sure, just as set on those. Maybe some things God has promised you specifically. And He's given you what you need to hold fast that confession. But out of your mouth should come the confession of things hoped for. What is it that's hoped for? What is it that God has given us a hope? Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. We're going to look at more things in the Word of God that He has promised all of us. We'll look at some things that He has promised us individually, how to handle those, but all oh, have that confession. But focus on this verse, folks. Hold fast the confession of our faith, or of our hope. Hold fast the confession of our hope. Hold it fast. Don't let it go. The confession of our hope. So many things want you to veer off on the confession. But don't do it. Don't do it. Glory be to your name. Father, we thank you for the hope that you give us. We have the hope of heaven. We have the hope of salvation. We have the hope of the promises that you have made to us. We have the things that you have told us, the rewards that are coming. These are all promises that you have given us. Father, we thank you for the promises. Glory be to God. But out of our mouth should always come the confession of what that hope is. 
whomever it is that we find, whomever it is that we see, we have the hope of what our God has said. So, Father, we thank You for it. We thank You that as we go through the Word here and look at things based on the hope, based on the One who promised, based on the One being faithful who promised, that we can see what the confession is that we should have. Oh, glory to God. Thank You, Lord Jesus. Thank You, Lord Jesus. Praise Your holy name.